Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. We are welcoming a new show to iHeart and the DraftKings YouTube channel. It is called Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano. It's an insider's look at the NBA and the culture surrounding the league. Every week, the five-time All-Star and the number one pick in the 2010 NBA draft, John Wall will give his unique perspective on the hottest topics in the league and tell the best behind-the-scenes stories from his time in the NBA. So check out Point Game with John Wall and CJ Toledano on the iHeartRadio app, the DraftKings YouTube channel, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yeah, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The volume. NBA fans, the wait is over. Basketball is back. And DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA, is celebrating with an unbeatable offer. New customers can score $200 instantly in bonus bets for throwing down $5 on the NBA. Win or lose, it doesn't matter. You'll start the season with an instant dub. And with DraftKings parlays, everyone's got a shot at an even bigger basketball win. String together multiple bets from the same game or build your parlay across multiple games for a shot at making your payday even sweeter. Basketball's more fun when you're in on the action. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use code HOOPS. That's H-O-O-P-S. New customers can get $200 in bonus bets instantly for betting just $5. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code HOOPS. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY to 467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas. Licensee partner Golden Nugget Lake Charles in Louisiana. 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See sportsbook.draftkings.com slash basketball terms for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, welcome to Hoops Tonight here at The Volume. Happy Thursday, everybody. Hope all of you guys are having a great NBA opening week. This is the second of three shows tonight. For those of you guys who missed it earlier, we hit two more of the League Pass games from Wednesday night's uh, slate. We hit the um, Zion Williamson return to the New Orleans Pelicans as they went into Memphis and beat the Grizzlies. And then we also hit the Cavs-Nets game 
where Donovan Mitchell hit the game winner. So if you're looking for those, you can find them a little bit further back on the feed. This video, we're hitting Bucks Sixers from the perspective of both teams and that officiating fiasco in the fourth quarter. And then come back to the feeds later tonight. We're going to have a breakdown of Lakers Suns as well. You guys know the drill before we get started. This is our brand new YouTube channel. It would mean a lot to me if you guys would take a second to scroll down and hit that subscribe button as we try to get this channel off the ground. Don't forget about our podcast feed, wherever you get your podcasts under hoops tonight. Follow me on social media, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. That's where I'm posting video content, uh, film breakdowns, and show announcements throughout the year. And last but not least, keep dropping mailbag questions in the YouTube comments. We're going to be hitting them at the tail end of shows throughout the season as well. All right, let's talk some basketball. So, you know, Damian Lillard came into camp, I thought, a little bit out of shape. He uh, was missing a lot of his pull-up jump shots short on the front of the rim in preseason. Kind of did that again tonight until uh, until the end. I mean, even that three he hit out of pick and roll in the second quarter, he left short on the front of the rim, but it bounced in. And, you know, it's hard to explain. All of you guys who are heavy-duty ball handlers, pull-up shooters at whatever respective level you play, you know that ebb and flow between like when you're really in a groove and you're in basketball shape and and you you do all the things that you do and, you, and you're getting good lift and you have a specific spot where you make shots. Usually it's off the back of the rim or some people uh, primarily swish when they're locked in, right? But then like when you have an injury or you go on vacation and you come back and you're just not quite the type of you know, in rhythm player that you're accustomed to being. And I think there's going to be a little bit of a process there that's magnified by the fact that, you know, he's trying to figure out where he fits in in this Bucks team. And I mean, you could really see it in that first quarter and then again in that third quarter. Not enough, Dame. Way too much, Giannis. Way too much other guys getting involved. And you could, you, it's just... It's one of those things where at the end of the day, especially when they get into half-court situations, I think the more they kind of simplify their offensive hierarchy and lean on Damian Lillard, the better. You know, I mean, Giannis is at his best when he's in transition. That was one of the stories of this game is that he really struggled with Joel Embiid's rim protection in the half-court. But then whenever he got out in transition, good things happen. And it's one of those things where like, you almost want to see this team slot in a way where Dame kind of functions as the primary ball handler. Giannis operates as basically a ball screen fulcrum and and then, a, you know, obviously a mismatch attacker whenever he has an opportunity or when Dame's off the floor, you can go back into your traditional kind of Giannis uh, spearheaded offense, right? And then from there, you want guys playing off the ball and you want to lean into that action as much as possible. No different than the way the Nuggets lean into Jamal Murray and Nikola Jokic as much as, much as possible. Not only do you want to do that in the big picture uh, but it also will help you the more you do it to build chemistry between those two. And I mean, it was one of those things where you can kind of tell in that second quarter, Dame started to get it going. Now, Nick Nurse is famously, those of you guys who followed the show for a while, we talk a lot about Nick Nurse and his overly aggressive defensive approach. Tons of ball pressure, tons of help. He's gapping, he's in play, uh, passing lanes. He's trying to force your primary ball handlers to get rid of the basketball. And one of the things that the Bucks did to counter that in that second quarter was just set the ball screen way further out, like 35 feet, 40 feet away from the basket. It's kind of like the inverse of that concept we were talking about with Anthony Davis and Nikola Jokic yesterday. Remember I talked about how the closer you get to the rim, your angles are off. Imagine the defender is like a square and imagine the basket over here and your point 
is right here with the square, right? The closer you are to the basket, your your driving lanes get kind of flattened out to the side, right? Whereas when you're further away from the basket, there's kind of like more angles for you to go around a player, right? And that's the thing. Damian Lillard, when he beats somebody off the dribble 35 feet from the basket, it doesn't matter how far you're playing off a shooter or anything like that. Everything is so spaced out at that point that it just gives you that much more time to get ahead of steam, to make decisions based on how help defenders are reacting. And he really got going downhill. And again, like even when he was missing th- uh, his pull-up three-point shot in preseason and missing him early in this game, you know, he was getting guarded as though he was making those shots, right? And so the the perfect counter to that is to try to get going downhill. He definitely got going towards the rim in that second quarter, did hit a pull-up three, uh, short off the front of the rim, but somehow still went in in that in that second quarter run, right? So like gets going, starts to get into the flow. Then in that third quarter, it kind of felt like Dame kind of got uninvolved from the offense again. And that's one of those things that I'd like to see in the big picture is them just leaning more on Dame. Now, down the stretch of that game, it was a steady diet of Dame. And that's exactly what it should be more frequently throughout the game. I don't think it's a coincidence that the big bucks runs were that second quarter run, Dame running the offense, and that late fourth quarter run, Dame running the offense. He's by far your best offensive player. He's the guy. It's the reason why you made that trade. You didn't make that trade to have him functionally operate as Drew Holiday on the offensive end of the floor. You brought him in because he's one of the best half-court shot creators in the NBA, in the history of the NBA, and you need to lean on that more. And you saw some of the uh, the upside there, right? Like they ran a horn set down the stretch. It was the play... Um, I want to say it was the one after the kind of officiating fiasco before he got the uh, when he got the three free throws. It was after that. They run a horn set. Giannis sets the screen. P.J. Tucker's guarding Giannis. Why? Because P.J. Tucker's a fire hydrant that can kind of contain Giannis's bully ball a little bit, right? So on the play, Damian Lillard comes off the screen <clears throat> and Giannis rolls hard to the front of the rim. But those of you guys who want to see a video of this play, I put it on my Twitter feed talking about P.J. Tucker staying glued to the roller. Now, again, Giannis brings real roll gravity to these situations. So, again, we talked about the two different ways you can guard it, right? If you blitz Dame, you give the uh, ability for Giannis to work downhill in a four-on-three. If you don't blitz Dame, what's going to happen? If Giannis rolls downhill and P.J. Tucker stays with Giannis and Kelly Oubre is in a trail position as he's chasing over the top of the screen, Dame's going to be able to get downhill. So in this play, Dame drives down the left lane line. He sees P.J. Tucker glued up to Giannis, knows he has an opportunity at the rim. By the time P.J. Tucker realizes what's happening and turns to contest, it's way too late, and he lays it up. Uh, I want to say it was the very next possession, the ISO 3 against Kelly Oubre. That's that like top-tier shot creation, that um, rescue possession stuff that I always talk about. That's the difference between a 111 offensive rating and a 119 offensive rating. It's usually the three or four possessions a game, whether it's a late shot clock situation, a late quarter situation, or an end-of-game situation where the defense is locked in, nothing's open, and you just need your guy to make a shot. And Dame hit a dribble combination, step back three over Kelly Oubre that was effectively the dagger. And again, like that's the kind of stuff that you never had with this team in the past. Now, this was a, a really ugly game for the Bucks 
for the most part, Giannis struggled mightily with Joel Embiid's rim protection. Again, like that's the thing with Giannis right now, and this is why you had to make the Dame trade. I talked a lot about after the Dame trade how it was a, an indicator of self-awareness for the Bucks front office. Understanding that here we are in the year 2023, and kind of like AD in the bubble in 2020, that Giannis playoff run in 2021 with free throw shooting kind of looks like it was a little bit of a fluke, right? Since then, his his jump shooting has declined, his free throw shooting has declined. Last year, he shot 30% on all field goal attempts outside of the restricted area. Like Giannis can't shoot outside of the paint. You know, he did make a big hook shot down the stretch of this game where I, I want to say it was against PJ Tucker, where he kind of bullied his way inside and he made that little push shot in the lane. That's the one I want to see him continue to work on because that to me should be his over the top shot that he goes to. But outside of that one shot, you're not really getting anything at the end of this game from Giannis in the half court in terms of shot creation. He, he just, uh, for what, and you know, it's funny because with, with Joel Embiid, he, um, I don't think Joel Embiid is a top tier defender. I don't think he's good enough on the perimeter, but his, immense physical size kind of uniquely equips him to deal with the guys like Giannis and Nikola Jokic. Uh, like that's, what's wild. Like no one thinks Joel Embiid's as good a defender as Anthony Davis, but Giannis eats Anthony Davis up and Nikola Jokic eats Anthony Davis up in a lot of cases. Cause he's just too damn big. Right. And, and the flip side there is like Embiid's just physically capable of absorbing those blows and standing his ground. And he gave Giannis a ton of trouble at the rim in this game. That's a game where, you know, if they play the exact same way they played, but Dame's not out there, they lose. Because Dame is what brings that top-tier shot creation to the situation. But, I mean, this is a super encouraging one because it was ugly. The The rhythm seemed off for the most part. Dame didn't really even know when he was supposed to be aggressive outside of the end of the game. And he still did Dame shit at the end, and you won. And so that's what's encouraging. Because over the course of the season, that, that, that continuity will improve that hierarchy will be be simplified. Those guys will know what they're supposed to do on both ends of the floor, and they'll look better. This is, for all intents and purposes, kind of a new basketball team. When you look at uh, guys like Malik Beasley playing a significant role, who you know wasn't all that impactful as a shooter tonight, but I thought he was pretty good defensively. Of one of his better defensive games that I've seen him play, and obviously Damian Lillard. Uh, brings an entirely different uh, vibe to this team offensively. So uh, first outing, ugly. Definitely got some some fortunate whistles in the fourth quarter, but a win is a win is a win. Now, um, I want to talk about the the Sixers for a second. I I legit feel bad for them in this one. You guys know how I feel about officiating. I think pretending there's a conspiracy is a loser mentality. No one's targeting your favorite player. No one's targeting your favorite team. The officials take their job very seriously. Yes, of course, there's bad apples among the officiating community, guys who have, have uh, taken it personally or that – uh, are too in- invested in them being part of the show. But for the most part, the body of officials do the best they can with the rules that they have to kind of interpret those within the game. And usually when I see people complaining about officiating or specific types of calls, to me it's more of a big picture issue for the entire league rather than targeting your enti- uh, your individual team. That said, it is very possible for one game to randomly go horribly wrong for one team. And I thought this was one of those games. I thought there were several key calls down the stretch of this game that went directly against Philly. That uh, dribble handoff with Kelly Oubre where they called the offensive foul. Like, like all he did was do a dribble handoff and then keep running in the same direction he had been running. An offensive player is allowed to run. That's just two players running into each other. That's part of the game. Um, I, I, when I see calls like that, I'm wondering if that official has ever played a basketball game in his life, right? Down on the other end of the floor, Giannis clearly airballs a hook shot and then catches his own miss. That, that's a travel. 
You can't do that. That directly led to the Damian Lillard catch and shoot three on the left wing that changed the lead in the game. I thought the three-point foul that Damian Lillard got when Kelly Oubre contested him kind of on his left side, I, that's a bad call. Like that's, that is a foul grifty bullshit call. I, I, so like, I, I, again, I, I, the Sixers are not victims here in the big picture, but in any sort of one single game sample size, it's very possible for just a handful of random calls to go against you. And so that would be the silver lining. If you're the Sixers is like, you basically had what uh, I, I think they counted that, uh, DeAnthony Melton banked in three at the buzzer. So you lost by one. You know, and, and effectively were within one possession for the most part at the end late, despite getting some rough calls, despite them also dealing with some uh, issues in terms of their offensive organization throughout the game. This is a team that's used to James Harden setting them up for the most part over the course of the season in terms of just offensive organization, right? And you could tell, like, it was kind of similar to the Dame thing. Like, Tyrese Maxey was a little too passive early in the game. When he started really looking to be aggressive, that's when the Sixers' offense took over. When Embiid looked to be aggressive, that's when the Sixers' offense took over. So, like, again, they have some stuff that they're sorting out, too. And they had lots of encouraging performances, right? Like, Joel Embiid's three-point shot. Looks amazing. Tyrese Maxey still way too damn fast. No one can keep him in front off the dribble. Kelly Oubre brought a lot of athleticism, point of attack defense, and timely three-point shooting to the table. Even Jaden Springer had a really interesting kind of perimeter defense sequence in that uh, in that first half. So like a lot of encouraging stuff for the Sixers despite unfortunate circumstances. Again, a win is a win is a win. And uh, you could tell that the Sixers kind of got down on themselves as the calls weren't going their way. But uh, but at the end of the day, if I'm a Sixers fan or a Sixers player, I'm feeling pretty good about where we're at right now because Tyrese looks ready. Joel Embiid outplayed Giannis in this game, I thought, pretty soundly. Again, that 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 ability for Embiid to protect the rim against the freaky athletes in this league is a, is a real weapon. And so there's a lot to be encouraged about for the Sixers. One other note I wanted to hit on the Sixers really quick, um, a very similar thing to what I was talking about with Anthony Davis and Nicole Jokic and the transition battle. So in the half court, and I'll be really curious to see the numbers when cleaning the glass updates in the morning, but like when Embiid was at the rim in the half court, he had a ton of success slowing down the Giannis rim pressure and just in general stalling the Milwaukee Bucks half-court offense. But there was a key play late that you guys might remember where Embiid drove left on Brooke Lopez and threw up an incredibly difficult kind of like floating bank shot on the left side of the rim against Brooke Lopez that he missed. And when he missed, the first thing he did is he looked over at the official and he stopped kind of in his tracks. Meanwhile, Giannis is barreling down the other way for an and-one layup, right? And those are the kinds of things that... uh, Now, the Philadelphia 76 are similar to the Los Angeles Lakers. They are very good half-court defense, but they suck guarding in transition. And this all comes down to the Anthony Davis and Joel Embiid running the floor thing. And that's why like those kind of like perimeter-based drives where they're slashing to the rim and throwing up difficult layups, both of them could stand to remove that from their game entirely. Because when they do that, they neither of them are particularly great at making those kind of foul grifty shots. And when they don't get the call, they're always out of position in transition defense. And for both of those teams, when they're not at the rim, their defense falls to pieces. And so that's just something for them to, uh, for both teams, but specifically we're talking about the Sixers here, to work on that specific element of kind of like catering your shot selection around floor balance and making sure that Embiid's in a position to get back on defense is an important part of them uh, polishing up their transition defense over the course of the season. But entertaining game. Uh, Bucks got the win. Again, I, when I was talking about the officiating, I'm not trying to take away from that. It's part of the deal. It's part of the game. Officiating is a variable. And if you want to make it so that officials cannot 
determine the outcome of games. You need to outplay the other team with enough margin for that kind of error. Uh, so congrats to the Bucks. Both teams, though, a lot of uh, stuff to be encouraged about and a lot of stuff for them both to get better at. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. Does the craziness of everyday life leave you feeling stressed and shedding? Since having kids, have you started to see a little more of your scalp? Are you unhappy with your hairline? When it comes to thinning hair, there are many root causes at play, and Nutrafol addresses them through a multi-targeted, whole-body approach. Nutrafol is the number one dermatologist-recommended hair growth supplement, with over 1 million people seeing thicker, stronger, and faster-growing hair with less shedding. Physician-formulated with drug-free ingredients, Nutrafol supports healthy hair growth from within by targeting key root causes of thinning. Stress, hormones, environment, nutrition, lifestyle, and metabolism through whole-body health. Take their hair wellness quiz at Nutrafol.com for a personalized hair health plan based on your specific root causes. With Nutrafol, building a hair growth routine is simple. Purchase online, no prescription, or doctor's visits required. Free shipping and automated deliveries ensure you'll never miss a day and you'll see results in three to six months. Take the first step to visibly thicker and healthier hair. For a limited time, Nutrafol is offering our listeners $10 off your first month subscription. And free shipping when you go to Nutrafol.com and enter the promo code Hoops. That's H-O-O-P-S. Find out why over 4,500 healthcare professionals and stylists recommend Nutrafol for healthier hair. Nutrafol.com, spelled N-U-T-R-A-F-O-L.com, promo code Hoops, H-O-O-P-S. That's Nutrafol.com, promo code Hoops. Angie's List is now Angie, the nation's largest home services marketplace. They're here to help homeowners get all their jobs done well. Angie has helped over 150 million homeowners care for their homes. Whatever your home project, big or small, indoor or outdoor, come to Angie to connect with and hire skilled professionals to get the job done well. It's something that I've always been a big believer in. When Usually when you try to take on a project that you don't know how to do, it ends up just being a bigger headache as you try to learn and then you end up making mistakes and it ends up just not being worth it. Not only can a professional get the job done more efficiently, but you're also supporting local businesses in your area. With over 200,000 pros in their network, Angie makes it easy to research, compare, and hire pros to ensure a job is done well. With 29 years of experience, combined with new digital tools to simplify the process, Angie makes completing home projects easy. Angie has cost guides to tell you what others have paid for similar projects both nationally and in your area. The app is free and easy to use. We all know the difficulties that can come with home projects. Angie makes tackling your project as simple as possible from start to finish. Turn to Angie with confidence, even for major renovations or emergency repairs. Are you renting? Even renters can come to Angie for moving installations and cleaning. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I.com or download the app today. We haven't had LeBron James and Kevin Durant play each other in a meaningful basketball game since the 2018 NBA Finals, or actually I think it was Christmas Day the following year, 2019, they played a regular season game. At least that was the last time they played in the regular season. It's been a very long time. We had a little bit of a teaser with their preseason game last week, but both of them did not disappoint 
in this particular game. Kevin Durant, 39 points facing every single conceivable ridiculous coverage from the Lakers. They're zoning him up on his uh, post-ups, meaning they're just having Anthony Davis just ignore his man and come over on the other side of the block to basically soft double. They're trapping him on ball screens. They're ball pressuring him. They're outright doubling him in a lot of cases. They just throw the kitchen sink at Kevin Durant with Devin Booker and with uh, Bradley Beal out, and yet he still puts up 39 points on 50% shooting because he's the greatest scorer of all time, in my opinion. And then LeBron James, not to be outdone, takes over the game late in the fourth quarter, basically takes the keys of the offense as things were falling apart and makes a bunch of key plays down the stretch as the Lakers get the win. So I want to I dive into, first, LeBron taking control of the offense. Now, there's a very specific reason why I feel like he needed to, and we're going to get to that in a minute. But that, about halfway through the fourth quarter, LeBron uh, essentially just takes over most of the primary decision-making. Right around the time D'Angelo Russell left the game and they brought uh, Austin Reeves back into the game. And then immediately, LeBron James basically does two things. He starts force-feeding AD in the post whenever he sees him get a clean look where he's got good position and they aren't doubling or, or three-quarter fronting or anything like that, right? So you saw him feed that, make that feed to Eric Gordon. There was a couple baseline feeds as well. He's feeding AD when he has those post-ups. Then secondly, whenever he doesn't see an opportunity to get the ball to AD in the post, he's calling Anthony Davis up to set a screen so that he can bring Yusuf Nurkic into pick and roll. Now, Yusuf Nurkic is a player that the Suns brought in for two reasons. One, DeAndre Ayton was a malcontent, and they had to get him out. He wanted to go. They didn't like him anymore. Had to go, even though he's probably a better player, right? Yusuf Nurkic is also a better passer in the short roll. They want, for all the times that the Suns are going to get two defenders on the ball, they want someone who can make decisions in the four-on-threes in the back line. However... Yusuf Nurkic is not a good rim protector, not a good drop coverage big, and someone that LeBron James basically sees food when he's attacking him in pick and roll. Now, it started on the right side when um, uh, LeBron actually split the pick and roll. Eric Gordon's guarding him. He gets the ball screen from AD and splits the action and then goes and makes the, uh, the layup on the right side. But then he hits it two additional times in the final two minutes where he attacks Nurkic in pick and roll and gets downhill and makes easy layups. LeBron is huge, like six foot nine, uh, really long wingspan, 270 pounds or whatever the hell he is. And so like, as long as he gets enough of an angle and he's not going against real length that he can struggle with at this phase in his career, he's going to be one of the best rim finishers in the NBA. He was, I haven't seen the numbers from this particular game, but he was nine for 10 from the rim uh, uh, at the rim against the Nuggets. He's still one of the very best rim finishers in the league when he doesn't see really imposing rim protection. And so again, uh, there's two different ways to look at that. The first side is the, is the sun side, essentially like this is what happens when you are a team that desperately needs defense and you're investing in a guy who can't protect the rim. But the other side of that is this is what smart decision-making looks like. We talked about this um, in one of our shows in the last couple of days. I can't even remember which one. But we talked about the – oh, it was the, the Mavericks one when we were talking about Luka and Kyrie. When you get to the end of games, it's a decision-making sport. It's all about like identifying where your best advantages are, making the right reads from there, and then your talent carrying you over the top. At the end of games, physicality increases and the whistle gets swallowed. Uh, they're going to probably switch most actions. Uh, obviously, you can't switch Nurkic and pick and roll, but they're going to do a lot more switching and your off-ball stuff, so you're not going to get as easy looks there. It just, in general, is going to get harder to do anything. And so you have to have a really smart basketball mind running the show for you that can identify where the weak point is and then attack that weak point consistently. For instance, like uh, the, the, the Suns down the stretch kept trying to get 
Austin Reeves onto Kevin Durant in uh, in isolation situations, and now the Lakers countered that by basically just doubling and trapping him every single time, right? But again, like KD's identifying, this is my weak point. Austin Reeves is probably my best chance to score. I'm trying to attack there, right? That's what LeBron's doing on the other end. Nurkic is my weak point. I got to get Nurkic into this action so that I can get downhill and make easy things happen at the rim for the Lakers. Now, What's interesting is we completely changed the, uh, uh, the whole narrative surrounding the minutes restriction. I'm looking up the minutes right now because I, I can't remember exactly. But he only played like, what, 29 minutes in the Nuggets game. Tonight he plays 35 minutes. And, you know, it's funny. Uh, Ryan, the lead producer of the show, shout out to Ryan. He just had his first kid. He just became a dad. Uh, Ryan um, said that he uh, uh, was shocked, utterly shocked, that LeBron's minute restriction only lasted one day. And you know, what's funny is, is like, I genuinely believe they want to do that. And I also believe that as much as LeBron enjoys playing, that he would be on board with that. I've actually advocated after the Tuesday game, I think it'd be good for LeBron because LeBron has a tendency when you play him 35, 36 minutes a night to have extended stretches where he kind of coasts through games. And that's just not good. Uh, that can honestly, like LeBron at this phase in his career when he's not engaged can actually sometimes hurt his team a little bit with when he's when he's being lazy. And so I kind of like the idea of playing basically four seven-minute shifts, or I guess they actually kind of break it up so he plays three shifts a half, but call that, uh, you know, uh, three uh, five-minute shifts, three four-minute shifts a, a, a half. I almost like the idea of him doing that sort of thing and then like just playing really freaking hard for those five-minute shifts because he can be deeply impactful still at this phase in his career when he's engaged and focused and actually giving his shit on both ends of the floor. But the reality is, is they're never going to actually be able to do that until they can be a functional basketball team when he's not on the floor. Now, as we know, they were a functional basketball team when he wasn't on the floor towards the tail end of last season. We saw that uh, at post-deadline when LeBron missed a bunch of time, and we saw that in the playoffs. But so far this year, through two games, the Lakers are plus 29 when LeBron James is on the floor in minus 36 when he's off the floor. And so that dynamic needs to be fixed in some way, shape, or form, or they're never going to be able to really cut LeBron's minutes down to 20, uh, 28 per game. Now, the question is, why are the Lakers struggling so much with LeBron James off the floor so far through two games. I think it comes down to a couple of different things. There's basically two main things that I want to hit here. One is one that we've talked about at length already in two separate videos on the show, which is the convoluted nature of the ball handling situation, which is like way too much Gabe Vincent, way too much D'Angelo Russell, nowhere near enough Austin Reeves, LeBron James, Anthony Davis, the three players who are actually the best players on your team. And so as you kind of lean more on inferior players, it hurts you in two ways. The inferior players are going to make inferior plays, and then your three main players are going to be out of rhythm. And that's kind of like the trade-off that happens there. And so as I would like to see the Lakers in the long run simplify that order of operations, lean more on Austin and LeBron as their primary ball handlers, lean more on Anthony Davis in the post, try to find ways to keep those guys in rhythm, and then kind of put Gabe Vincent and D'Angelo Russell where they can still be deeply impactful, which is off the ball. Now, the second big problem is, and the reason why when even and this, this applies to Austin as well, although I think Austin is better at it than both uh, D'Lo and Gabe, but... D'Lo and Gabe are both skill guards. Neither of them are 
uh, above at even even average NBA athletes. They're both below average NBA athletes. Austin is also a below average NBA athlete, but he's shifty and actually good at beating people off the dribble and getting downhill pressure. And so he's a little bit better in that regard. But when you have the ball running through Gabe and, uh, and D'Angelo Russell, they're not really beating people off the dribble with with a lot of pace and downhill force. And so what happens is, is they're not getting the defense into rotation because they're not actually collapsing the defense. If they're not actually collapsing the defense, then you're not getting high-quality kickout opportunities for your skilled players. If you're not getting high-quality kickout opportunities for your skilled players, now they're attacking against a set defense. If they're attacking against a set defense, then their athleticism shortcomings rise to the surface. As you see guys like Jordan Goodwin and Eric Gordon and Josh Okoji hold them in place on the perimeter as they struggle to generate quality looks. No no big secret that in the fourth quarter, when they started running everything through LeBron and Austin and AD, that in the late fourth quarter, that was when they started to get real downhill pressure. That was when they started to get higher quality looks, right? And again, you, you start to imagine a better basketball team. It's one of those things where uh, uh, if it's not Nurkic, if it's, it's higher quality def- defensive players, it'll be a little more complicated, right? LeBron's not just going to be able to drive down the lane for layups, but he is going to be able to drive down the lane and generate high quality closeout opportunities. And that's the thing. Like D'Angelo Russell is capable of being a very good off-ball player. So is Gabe Vincent. So I'd like to see them simplify the order of operations, get the ball in the hands of their better players more frequently. And then that second part, that's a roster deficiency. It's a problem that only LeBron James and Anthony Davis can consistently generate rim pressure. And Austin Reeves right now is your best guard at generating rim pressure, and he's getting the fewest on-ball touches of all your guards. This is where the absence of Dennis Schroeder becomes an issue. As much as we talk about Dennis Schroeder and his shortcomings, because he wasn't as good off the ball, and obviously as good as he was as a ball pressure guard, he was also a little bit undersized, and that could cause problems. What Dennis Schroeder could do is beat people off the dribble and get the defense into rotation, which could get the Laker offense moving. And so again, like, you know, we've talked a lot about potential D'Angelo Russell trades over the course of the season. This is why I've pitched things like, hey, package D'Angelo Russell with Rui Hachimura at the deadline for some sort of higher level athlete on the perimeter that can slash and generate real rim pressure and guard and knock down threes. The reason why I've talked about that is simply because right now you have a redundancy. You have three skill guards. Austin Reeves, D'Angelo Russell, and Gabe Vincent. Austin is effectively the same type of player as D'Lo, just a better version of him. So it doesn't make sense to have your backcourt with two kind of redundant similar players. It might be fine over the course of the regular season, but you're going to run into bad matchups. Whenever they run into super athletic guards, KCP and Jamal Murray. Jamal Murray's not super athletic, but he's super strong. KCP is a freak athlete. Jordan Goodwin and Josh Okoji. When they run into those types of matchups, they're going to have a lot of problems. Now again, like I, I was, even if the Lakers had lost this game, I wouldn't have been like, "Oh, they're going to miss the playoffs." I, I still think this team's going to win fifty games. They just have too much talent, but they do have that specific weakness in backcourt athleticism. And as often as they run into athletic backport, backcourts, they're going to have problems, especially when those guys are running the show. And so I would look at it as like a consolidation type of move at the deadline. I would look to move D'Angelo Russell with Rui Hachimura to bring in some more athleticism in the backcourt, to bring in somebody who can do some more slashing to help get the defense in rotation more often so that they can get higher quality looks for their skilled players. And again, like it's not a now problem, it's a February problem, but this is why you have to look at that as an option. For the record, this isn't something that I'm like conceiving out of thin air. 
I would imagine if you talk to all the parties involved, D'Angelo Russell's agent, Rob Palenka, you know, LeBron James, Darvin Ham, all that, they all probably know that this is kind of like a temporary sort of situation. It was the best way to get D'Angelo Russell the money that he wanted, and it's going to end with him inevitably getting moved when they get to the deadline. But at the bottom line is until they sort all those problems out and get to the point where they can be functional the way they were without LeBron at the end of the, <clears throat> at the end of last season, they're never going to be able to cut his minutes. Last year it was outstanding defense, hellacious defense combined with Dennis Schroeder's rim pressure with Austin Reeves as the perfect, perfect complementary guard and uh, Anthony Davis playing at an MVP level down the stretch of the season. That's how they won games without LeBron. And right now they're not capable of replicating that when LeBron's off the floor. They're going to have to figure that out if they're going to keep his minutes down. I was really impressed uh, by the Laker defense. They allowed, you can kind of see how the flow of this game went. They went up 7-0 to start the game, came out guns blazing, right? Then they immediately relax. Suns jump them the rest of the first quarter. They go up double figures, right? Then the Lakers lock in in the second quarter. They fight. They only allow 22 points. They make it a game. It's 52-48 at halftime, right? Then they come out in the third quarter and they start bullshitting again. The Suns build a big lead. Then you go into that fourth quarter. Desperation kicks in and suddenly the Lakers allow 11 points, which is what they should have been doing all game when you really factor in the fact that Kevin Durant was the only player on the Suns that was capable of really consistently getting to his spots and making plays. A lot of the other guys that were succeeding, it was hustle-related. It was either like Eric Gordon or Josh Okoji or... or uh, uh, Jordan Goodwin just bullying the smaller, less athletic Laker guards, or it was like crashing the offensive glass when guys weren't playing hard, getting out in transition, all of that kind of stuff, right? And so, again, like it, it, they were capable of strangling the Suns' offense really at any point they wanted to, but they were bullshitting too often. But I was impressed by the the the, the amount of effort they put in that fourth quarter to put them away. I thought Christian Wood playing in the closing lineup was super interesting. He again, I, what did I say after the Christian Wood signing? I agree. He's a bad defensive player. That's pretty much proven over the course of his NBA career, right? Uh, however, if you look at the highlights, what, what is the first thing I do every single time a team signs a player? It's not just the Lakers, it's everybody. I start scouting them. And I watched hundreds of possessions of Christian Wood defending in pick and roll. And there were a lot of ugly ones in there. But you know what else there was? A lot of really good ones. You know why? Because Christian Wood has really good physical tools, and he's actually capable of being an impact defensive player when he's in shape, when he's engaged, when he's focused, right? And so you kind of saw that by giving him a really dedicated job, like, hey, chase Kevin Durant around on these screens. As soon as the ball screen comes, we're going to like offer immediate, strong, hard help or even double in some cases. So just use your length to bother him at that point. It was an easy job, and Christian Wood excelled at it. And what was interesting is I think he was only like two for seven or two for nine from the field. He didn't have a good offensive game, but he did his job defensively and he secured a bunch of huge contested rebounds. That's one of his individual gifts. He's good at high-pointing the ball, and he's a very long athletic player. And so when he goes for you know contested rebounds, he's capable of out-jumping everybody. But I thought he played a huge role in that defensive flurry for the Lakers in the fourth because when you put him out there with Gabe Vincent and Austin and LeBron and AD, they're kind of a huge team. And like Gabe gives you that traditional kind of ball pressure guard look, and then you have th uh, three dudes that are 6'9 or taller and really athletic. And you're going to get a lot of uh, you're going to make a lot of defensive plays and get a lot of defensive rebounds in that situation. Anthony Davis, kind of a, on the back burner tonight, was freaking unbelievable. 30 points, 13 rebounds, three blocks, and three steals. How about that? Six stocks in this game. Um, I thought he was unbelievably 
good defensively in that fourth quarter, just flying around, con- grabbing contested rebounds, guarded KD on a bunch of key possessions. Watching those KD, AD one-on-one face-offs were actually pretty wild because it's like it's like you're watching two NBA 2K created players playing in the post against each other. I thought Anthony Davis was fantastic. Again, usually you don't look at the box score with AD because his defensive impact goes so far beyond that. But when you get that defensive impact in a 30-13 with three blocks and three steals, that's an MVP level performance out of Anthony Davis as well. Um, I wanted to shout, I just wanted to uh, um, uh, make sure that we gave him his fair shout out because just because LeBron took over at the end of the game, again, in the big picture of what's happening down the stretch there, Anthony Davis is still controlling the game defensively. On the Suns front, Kevin Durant is literally amazing. I, I've just completely blown away by him. Like, how many players could you put in a situation like that with that group of role players and have a realistic chance to def- uh, to defeat a team as good as the Lakers are on the road? I mean, even though the Lakers didn't play particularly well in this game for uh, for the most part, I still thought it was an incredibly impressive performance. Really, the only knock was the eight turnovers, but I thought he ran out of gas, and you could tell just towards the end of the game, like he's just he's having to create every single possession for them, and he still, in spite of all of that. Had them with a one, uh, had a free throw to potentially give them a one point lead late, uh, which he missed. I thought he was incredible. Again, the Nurkic on defense piece is something they're going to have to keep an eye on. When you have him um, operating in drop coverage, guys are just going to see food. They're not going to see him as someone who really bothers them at the rim. And so I. <sighs> Yeah, like LeBron at this phase in his career is is still capable, but there are even there are several better pick and roll ball handlers that they're going to face at various points over the course of the season, is especially guys that can beat people off the dribble. And I and I'm I'm pretty concerned about Nurkic anchoring a defense even with Frank Vogel at the helm. Uh, but I want to shout out um, I want to shout out the Suns in general for uh, just how good they look at this point in the season in specific areas. They've hit on some veteran minimum signings. I thought Jordan Goodwin, it was fantastic tonight. Uh, when you kind of pair him with Josh Okoji at every single phase of the game, you just have this kind of bulldog, small, but a short, somewhat short wing that's just freakishly strong, that is more athletic than most of the other guards that they're going to play, that can apply physical ball pressure, which is such an important element of any Frank Vogel-led defense um, in general, I've just been impressed with their overall commitment and competitiveness, and they're just going to win a lot of damn games when they get their group together and healthy. Obviously, that's the question. Devin Booker's experiencing pain in the middle of his foot. That's always concerning. Stress injuries can be a problem, so you have to manage that with rest, which can cause pro- uh, uh, problems with the rhythm and, and, and kind of continuity of your roster as well. And Bradley Beal's dealing with back issues. Those are never fun, right? So again, like there's some question marks surrounding the team, but the main question marks at this point for me are injuries and the rim protection of Yusuf Nurkic. I actually do think with Frank Vogel and what they have in athletes surrounding their core, they are capable of defending at a high enough level. They just might have to consider making some sort of move at the deadline for a better rim protector to put alongside these guys. All right, that's all I have for tonight. As always, I sincerely appreciate you guys supporting the show. Nothing going on during the day tomorrow. I will be breaking down the Friday night slate on Saturday morning, though, so keep an eye on the feeds on Saturday.
the volume. Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like at your pregame barbecue. While you prep your meats, that grease trap you forgot to empty is prepping to smoke your porch, garage, and the car inside. And without the right home and auto insurance coverage, the cost to repair this could eat up your savings. So bundle home and auto with Allstate to save and get protected from mayhem like this. Bundled savings variant are not available in every state. Coverage is subject to policy terms and conditions. MTV's official Challenge podcast is back for another season. And so are we. I'm Tori Deal. And I'm Anissa Ferreira. The wait is over, guys. All Stars 4 is finally here. And this season takes it to a whole new level. Old school legends, modern power players, and ex-lovers are all competing in Cape Town, South Africa for the prize of $300,000. And we're going to be right here along with you fans covering every episode on the podcast. Listen to MTV's official Challenge podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying... A, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, love at first, first listen. listen. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. With new segments, correspondence, and a new sound. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Dura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. <laughs> 